and welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me. This is our Thanksgiving show. This year's been such an insane wild ride that there's so many things that we can be grateful for. But this week, I want to talk about the people and events which bring me genuine gratitude. You know, I've heard from many apologists who refuse to face the ugly re reality about Thanksgiving, namely that it is a holiday that celebrates how white European men instituted a gradual and constant genocide against indigenous people of color and all in the name of profit and various European monarchs. This genocide was the beginning of a massive land theft, again, for the rich, titled, and privileged. I've been told by closet racists that Thanksgiving celebrates our blessings as migrant Englishmen celebrated friendship with the same indigenous people that they will and intended to displace. So in the spirit of celebrating blessings, I'm going to speak about the blessing of strong progressive movements, and especially of individuals who have risked life and limb in the name of true justice. And this show is dedicated to those progressive heroes and sheroes. Now, we're all very familiar of, about certain strong progressives that have been in the, in the limelight of mainstream corporate media. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is Greta Thunberg, which, again, I'm in awe of this teenager, this teenager on the autism spectrum. Uh, it, it's been reported that she was electively mute until she decided that she was going to speak up about the environmental crisis. And for that... She is amazing. She basically got the attention and the imagination of the media. And for her, it was a scary thing. But let's be honest. She's a young girl. God bless her. But the fact is, she wasn't really risking arrest. She wasn't risking being pounded on. And basically, she just was risking being suspended from school. Uh, again, I love Greta Thunberg. God bless her. But let's put things in perspective a bit. She was, she's been reminding the adults what we're supposed to be doing, and for that she should be celebrated. But let's look at people that have been behind the scenes. You know, I'm grateful for the squad, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, and uh, Ayanna Presley, and now our own St. Louis homegrown Ferguson activist Corey Bush is going to be uh, is going to become the fifth member of the squad. So, again, congratulations to Congresswoman Cori Bush from Missouri's 1st District. And we wish her the best. I'm grateful for Bernie Sanders and Nina Turner. And I'm grateful for all these different people that have grabbed the limelight. But there's a lot of people in progressive movements, and we're going to focus on environmental movements, that they may have received some publicity, because they were arrested, but it, they didn't really get all the accolades and all the attention of mainstream media because it wasn't deemed, I don't know, sexy enough, whatever. So this Thanksgiving, I decided to discuss basically a dialogue that's centered on progressive or really leftist heroes and sheroes. I, you know, I've mentioned the obvious progressives that have dominated the airwaves but I'm going to spend more time on those lesser, the lesser-known heroes and sheroes of progressive activism that have made enormous contributions to actual justice in a general sense. But we're going to focus mainly on environmental justice because, again, this is the Environmental Justice Report. So in that tradition, 
I'm going to go over three or four that really got my attention that we've spoken about on this program before. I'm going to talk about legal eagle, legal eagle hero Stephen Donzinger, who fought Chevron. Then I'm going to talk about the water protectors at Standing Rock. And I want to mention that even though that was an indigenous movement, quite a few activists from Ferguson and Black Lives Matter went down to Standing Rock. Uh, I know some of them. So, again, the echoes of Ferguson keep reverberating throughout. We're going to follow that by the King's Bay 7 versus our nuclear Navy. And finally, the Louisiana Bucket Brigade of Cancer Alley. In conclusion, I'm going to speak to the crime of ecocide, which should be recognized as a crime against humanity and the planet. So I'm going to try and get through these as best I can. Um, it's hard to time these things. Kind of bear with me. So these are a few of the unsung heroes and sheroes of the progressive, I'm not going to say progressive, of the leftist movement. They don't receive the same notoriety as an AOC. Um, but they repeatedly risk their bodies, their livelihoods, and their freedom without any mugging for the cameras or aspirations for high elected office. Their actions are not that of crass political opportunists, but they operate from a higher morality. So first we're going to go to Stephen Donzinger. And I'm basing, I'm looking at an article that was published um, earlier this year, last January, from The Intercept, Sharon Lerner wrote it, and the headline is how the environmental lawyer, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> who won a massive just judgment against Chevron lost everything. This is really quite a story. Steven Donziger is a phenomenal attorney. He lives in Manhattan. He worked on this case for the uh, indigenous people in Ecuador for decades, and he won. He won a massive, multi-billion dollar judgment against Chevron. So Chevron did what a lot of big corporations do, in my opinion, when they know they're wrong, but they want to make sure they don't ever have to pay. They sued Donziger in New York. And Don, Stephen Donziger wound up under house arrest. This is last August. Um, you know, Greta Thunberg is mentioned in this article. She's greeted by adoring crowds. Um, and, and that's wonderful, but not too many people are paying attention to, T to Stephen Donziger, who was the lead attorney battling Chevron. He did it for over a decade. Um, this is regarding, really, environmental devastation in South America. Okay? Very few, few news outlets covered it. I think the New York Times did an article. The New Yorker did. Um, maybe Newsweek, and then it just went away. So we won this multi-billion dollar judgment in Ecuador against Chevron, and this is regarding massive contamination in what's called the Lago Agrio region. And he's been fighting on behalf of the indigenous people and farmers there for, according to this article, more than 25 years. So on August 6th, Donziger left this lower Manhattan courthouse. No one noticed him, and he boarded this train home with an electronic monitoring device on his ankle. So he, as of that day, he was on house arrest. All he could do was maybe meet with his lawyer or some other court-sanctioned appointment, and that was it. And Donziger was report was quoted saying, I'm like a corporate political prisoner, end quote. And that's true. That's exactly what he was. And um, he told this, the, this journalist. So 
you know, Donzinger has been, you know, fighting this fight. And he went on to say, besides saying I'm like a, corp- a corporate political prisoner, he also said they are trying to really, they are trying to totally destroy me, end quote. And they are. So he was, Donziger argued the case against Chevron in Ecuador, not in the U.S., in Ecuador in 09. And the company has said repeatedly that their long-term strategy was to, quote, demonize him. This is according to a documents cloud. Um, so then since then, excuse me, Chevron has continued this assault on Donziger. They hired private investigators. They created a publication to smear him, uh, according to the, Am- the AmazonPost.com. And then, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> they put together this enormous legal team, hundreds of lawyers from some 60 law firms. And this is according to CR- CSRWire.com. Against this one attorney, hundreds of lawyers from 60 legal terms against this one attorney. And because of their campaign, Donziger's been disbarred illegitimately. His bank accounts have been frozen. This was as of last January. There was a lien on his apartment. He faces enormous fines. And get this, he, he has been legally prohibited from earning any money. Then August, um, a court seized his passport, and that's according to the website makechevroncleanup.com. The, t- the, the headline is Judge Kaplan ordered the seizure of his passport, computer, and cell. Human rights defender Stephen Donziger refused to turn him over. Here is his explanation. And then they put him on house re- arrest. Now, Chevron, as of last January, January 2020, reported here has a market market capitalization of 228 billion so they have the funds to keep targeting Don Zinger and attacking him um, in an email statement Chevron wrote that quote any jurisdiction that observes the rule of law should find the fraudulent Ecuadorian judgment to be illegitimate and unenforceable the statement also end quote the statement also said Chevron will continue to work to hold the perpetrators of this fraud accountable for their actions, including Stephen Donziger, who has committed a litany of corrupt and illegal acts related to his Ecuadorian judicial fraud against Chevron, end quote. Now, this sounds a lot like Donald Trump, doesn't it? Let's say, you know, everything's a fraud. Did Chevron produce any proof? No. Uh, The development... Um, these developments led to Don Ziger's confinement. Uh, the home confinement is his punishment because, as the one site said, he refused to hand over his cell phone and computer. Very few attorneys are asked to do that. Um, he had already gone through 19 days of depositions. He gave Chevron large portions of his case file. And he just went, this was just too much, and he appealed the demand for his cell phone and his computer on the grounds that it would require him to violate his commit his his uh, professional commitment to his client. But he said he'd turn over the devices if he lost the appeal. So keep in mind, at this point, the underlying case is civil, not criminal. 
But the federal court judge presiding over the litigation between Chevron and Donziger since 2011, Louis A. Kaplan, also drafted criminal contempt charges against him. And that's according to courthousenews.com. Okay. Kaplan, federal judge Louis Kaplan, then appointed a private law firm to prosecute Donziger. And he did that because the Southern District of New York, those prosecutors refused to prosecute him. But keep this in mind. The Southern District of New York, those prosecutors refused uh, Judge Kaplan's demand, his charges of criminal contempt against Donzinger. So the judge couldn't get what he wanted because there was really no grounds. So he appointed a private law firm to prosecute Donzinger, which already looks highly suspicious. And Donzinger's own lawyer uh, pointed out that the firm that Kaplan selected, Seward and Cassell, most likely has ties to Chevron. And in my research, I found that, yes, Stewart and Cassell has definite ties to Chevron. Now, Kaplan then bypassed the standard, what they call, there's a random assignment process um, to pick a judge to look to do this case as well. And Kaplan bypassed that. And he picked somebody that he knew very well, U.S. District Judge Loretta Prescott. And she's the one that was overseeing the case um, being prosecuted by Seward and Cassell, a private law firm, against Donziger for, quote, criminal contempt. And it was Judge Preska that sentenced Donziger to home detention, took his passport, and all of that. This is what Stephen Donziger is dealing with. And the case against Chevron and Ecuador was a major victory. The This all began, according to Newsweek, in 1993. Donziger and some other attorneys filed a class action suit in New York against then Texaco. And this was on behalf of more than 30,000 farmers and indigenous people in the Amazon over this massive contamination. Um, And this is from chevroninecuador.org, from the company's oil drilling. Chevron bought Texaco in 01. And Chevron insisted Texaco cleaned up the area, and that its former partner, the National Oil Company of Ecuador, was responsible for any remaining pollution. That's very convenient. Now, at Chevron's request, I'm going to read this from this article, quote, at Chevron's request, the legal proceedings over the, quote, Amazon Chernobyl were moved to Ecuador, where the courts were impartial and fair, as the oil company's attorneys wrote in a filing at the time. Okay. And intercontinentalcry.org has dubbed this the Amazon Chernobyl. So they thought, Chevron thought moving the case to be tried in Ecuador, it would be an easy win for them. But the Ecuadorian court ruled against Chevron in, in 11, and they ordered the company to pay $18 billion in compensation. Now, that amount was reduced later to $9.5 billion. But again, this is after years of struggling, you know, dealing with the health and and the environmental consequences of oil extraction. These Amazonian plaintiffs have won this huge victory, okay, from one of the largest corporations in the world. But Donziger didn't have much time to enjoy that because Chevron made clear that they they weren't going to pay the judgment. So they moved their, so Chevron moved their assets out of Ecuador 
which made it impossible for the Ecuadorians to collect. Now, that enough should have been grounds to go after Chevron, but it wasn't. In fact, what happened was Chevron filed a RICO suit against Donziger in New York City. And RICO's racketeer influence and corrupt organizations. The, the irony of this is, is just unbelievable. And Chevron claimed uh, Chevron wanted $60 billion in damages. Okay? And they, let's see now. Yeah, they won $60 billion in, in damages and civil trials. Um, but here's what happened. Civil trials of more than $20 entitle a defendant to a jury. So Chevron dropped the monetary claims two weeks before the trial. Okay, because what Chevron really wants to do is destroy Donziger and set an example so that no other attorney will dare to represent the poor and the sick against this major corporation or any major corporation. This is really a huge morality tale. So the case was decided by Kaplan. Kaplan ruled in 14 that the Ecuadorian judgment against Chevron was invalid because it was obtained, quote, through egregious fraud, according to the New York Times. In an article, uh, a headline, Federal Judge Rules for Chevron, an Ecuadorian pollution case. And Donziger, Kaplan also found that Donziger was guilty of racketeering, extortion, wire fraud, money laundering, obstruction of justice, and witness tampering. All of this that Judge Kaplan threw at Donziger was based solely on the testimony of an Ecuadorian judge named Albert, Alberto Guerra, who claimed that Donziger bribed him during the original trial and that the decision the decision against Chevron had been ghostwritten, I guess, by Don Zinger. You can't, it's not legitimate for anybody to base all of this on the word of one person. Guerra was a bad witness, okay? Chevron prepped him uh, on the court more than 50 occasions for his testimony. Chevron paid him, according to Chevron and Ecuador.org, paid him hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why would you pay your witness, who is an Ecuadorian judge, hundreds of thousands of dollars for their testimony? Looks like bribery to me on the part of Chevron. And then arranged for the judge and family members to move to the U.S. They received a good, a nice monthly stipend, in other words, a monthly check that was more than 20 times the salary the judge received in Ecuador. Now, there was bribery going on on corruption. But it looks like it's traced back to Chevron, not Stephen Donziger. And according to Chevron, Guerra's, what they called inaccuracies, didn't change the testimony. And Judge Kaplan wrote that his court, quote, would have reached precisely the same result in this case, even without the testimony of Alberto Guerra, end quote. Um, Chevron said that Guerra was related to the U.S. for his safety. But again, no evidence to back that claim. So basically, Donziger was convicted of bribery by the claim of a single former Ecuadorian judge in a case where bribery wasn't even the charge. And the, from what I can tell, the only evidence was Guerra's say-so and nothing else. But again, if this is legitimate, why would they want to 
why would they pay Guerra hundreds of thousands of dollars and then a monthly check that's more than 20 times his salary back in Ecuador? Okay. So this has really gotten out of hand, okay? Um, and so basically there was another guy, Charles Nesson, who's an attorney and Harvard Law School professor, was quoted as saying, Quote, on the basis of Judge Kaplan saying, I believe this witness, I find Donziger guilty of the crime of bribery of the judge. On the basis of that, he's been destroyed. That is the pinnacle element of all the other claims against him. And if you take that one out, the rest of them, they're just not there. End quote. Uh, professor, Harvard Law School professor Charles Nelson went on to say, quote, he has effectively been convicted of bribery by the finding of a single judge in a case in which bribery wasn't even the charge. Uh, end quote. And Nesson went on to say, quote, I teach evidence that you have to prove what you assert, but the proof in this case is the thinnest, end quote. Now, Professor Nesson was the lawyer who represented Daniel Ellsberg in the Pentagon Papers case, okay? He's, and he also represented the plaintiffs in the suit of W.R. Grace, which was featured in a book and film called A Civil Action. And Nesson teaches Donziger's case in his, quote, fair trial course. And he uses an example of a totally unfair trial. To quote Nesson once again of the Harvard Law School, quote, Donziger epitomizes a person in asymmetric civil litigation who can now be denied a fair trial, end quote. Now, Nesson's one of several legal scholars who, you know, have accused Kaplan of having, you know, a cozy relationship with Chevron. Okay, so Donziger's been prohibited from working, traveling, earning money, leaving his home, um, and the associate director of Amazon Watch, which is an organization devoted to protecting the rainforest and indigenous people in the Amazon Basin, was quoted as saying, this is Paul, the director of Amazon Watch is Paul Paz de Nino. He was quoted as saying, quote, it should be nothing short of terrifying for any activist challenging corporate power and the oil industry in the U.S. They've made it clear there's no amount of money that's too much to spend on this case. They will stop at nothing, end quote. That's true. Now, there's going to be more about Donzinger, but I'm going to move on, okay? So Donzinger is obviously one of our heroes that you hear very little about. He's, and his case is so important because if they get away with this, there are going to be very few lawyers that are going to be willing to defend anyone other than corporate powers. I mean, it effectively destroys the legal profession as any, with, with any legitimacy. Now we have the water protectors and Standing Rock. Okay. Now, the Standing Rock as a Sioux tribe, um, they have fought years, a legal battle. There's been historic grassroots resistance. And they are fighting what is the Dakota Access Pipeline, which is, you know, it's an oil pipeline. Really, would, it would contain um, basically uh, fracking, fracking fuel. And they, the Sioux tribe, the Standing Rock Sioux tribe, has really feared the threat of a spill from the pipeline. And the pipeline is planned to cross the Missouri River um, about a mile from the tribe's reservation in South Dakota. Now, these protests against projects began in 2016, and they drew hundreds of thousands of people. And this helped push a global movement for not only uh, against fracking, but also 
for indigenous sovereignty. Now, you have to remember that uh, this youth-led protest, looks like someone's trying to call in, but it's not going to happen. I don't know why they're trying, actually. Um, the problem with fracking is that, first of all, the fuel that it derives, um, tar sands oil, it's not oil. It's basically bituminous coal, and it's shot through the pipelines with high pressure and a fluid that contains all sorts of chemicals. We don't know all of it. We do know that it does, the fluid contains known carcinogenic um, elements such as benzene. You know, they've been fighting this, and Standing Rock shows how all these different forms of opposition can push necessary change. Um, the same month that these two young people pitched their tent, they basically, they, they pitched tents and they had, um, they pretty much squatted there, okay? And, you know, the, one of the um, leaders said, with prayer and with peace, the pipeline can be stopped. With any form of violence, the pipeline would go under the river. Um, so there's a lot here, and unfortunately, we're kind of running short. We're going to run short on time tonight. Um, so Earth Justice Attorney Jan Hesselman got involved, okay? And the Standing Rock Sioux, basically what they were concerned about is that there was supposed to be an environmental analysis of the area before the pipeline was permitted to go through. And the Army Corps of Engineers did, and the company did not do that study. And um, so, and this is based on federal law. The government's required to conduct an environmental analysis. They're also required to consult with tribal governments uh, on any infrastructure, infrastructure project, whether it's a pipeline or a highway, and especially if it could endanger a tribe's health or sovereign land. These pipelines do sometimes break, do sometimes leak. And the problem with, fra with uh, fracking is that it is, the product that they're using is so much more toxic than run-of-the-mill oil that if it enters the, 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 the water, it, it, you can't clean it up, okay? There's, there's no way. It's, it's, it's ruined. And water is important. This is about life. And so basically, uh, July, the tribe was represented by Earth Justice. They sued the Army Corps in 2016 um, because the Army Corps approved the pipeline's water permits, again, without full environmental and cultural reviews, without the environmental analysis. Um, and then the camp along the Missouri River began a new phase. You know, and to quote Tehran Ironshell, member of the Ogallala Lakota tribe, from, quote, from the beginning was known that it was a youth-led movement, okay? Um, and it, it, it was, okay? Um, so a group of Native youths ran. The, the field was covered with tents, and then they, over 300 tribes were represented at the camp. Um, again, I know for a fact that there were, um, Ferguson um, activists that went to Standing Rock as well to be supportive. Um, and all these tribes, they didn't all get along, but 
Ironshell said, so many of us came from tribes that historically didn't get along. We built our relationships with each other and felt stronger for it. We found unity among Indian movements around the country. So they, they were basically squatting to, to get attention. And it, this story did hit the mainstream media. But the way it was portrayed, it made these activists look like they were violent. And that just wasn't the case. Um, by the fall of 2016, the camps had grown to 10,000 actual inhabitants as opposed to people going back and forth. Um, Non-Native people came, human rights activists. I know Ferguson activists were there, journalists, Hollywood stars, politicians, veterans. And the pressure was so much that um, there was a, the tri they had a legal request in court and the judge denied the tribe's request to halt construction of the pipeline. But the pressure was so much that minutes after the judge's ruling, the Obama administration um, put the permits on hold. Okay? And so that just shows you the power of people. So we have here this constant, this constant case going on. Um, a federal judge three years later finally ruled the administration had acted illegally and they ordered the Army Corps to reassess why permits should be authorized without a full environmental review. Okay? But this was a mixed blessing because the court then later refused to halt or demand the pipeline's operations halted. Okay? Because the pipeline had already operated a few weeks earlier while the new review was being done. But so again, it was just a little bit of a, a little bit of a help, not much. But the Dakota Access Pipeline has now moved 600,000 barrels of crude oil a day, um, not far from the reservation. Okay, and you know, basically, it's viewed as a threat to their their right to clean water. Okay, now then COVID hit. And so their attorney had to actually argue his case from, from home. Um, and basically what happened was the court did decide that the pipeline's permits were illegal this year. And the judge ordered the Army Corps to start the process over and to do the full environmental review that the tribe had been demanding. In a follow-up ruling, an appeals court upheld the decision so that the pipeline is actually operating illegally. So the issue of stopping the pipeline would be resolved with further court proceedings. Um, but it, again, the final decision won't be made until after the November 2020 election. So, you know, once again, we have these unsung heroes. I'm going to move on. Please go ahead now. Um, one last thing about this. The water protectors did just recently lose a giant. Lakota water and land rights activist Deborah White Plume passed away. Um, she helped lead the fight against fossil fuel extraction and oil and gas pipelines. She was on Democracy Now! in 2016. They spoke with her at a protest camp on the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation in North Dakota. And to quote 
the late Deborah White Plume. And again, this is somebody who is a true hero. Again, I love Greta, but Greta wasn't really putting her life on the line. This lady did. Quote, if the pipeline is put in, it's going to leak or spill or burst or explode, and that oil is going to get into the water. And Dakota Access Pipeline says they're going to bury it 30 feet under, and they're, re and they're assuring everybody that it's going to be safe. But I think Western science doesn't really know everything it thinks it knows. And we need to make our decisions based on what's best for Mother Earth and our coming generations. And that includes protecting our water. Water is under threat all over the world. Right now, there are people who have no access to clean drinking water, end quote. Now we're going to talk to the Kings Bay Plowshare activists. And these are, again, heroes. There were seven members. They're all older. Um, so these were anti-nuclear activists. And they broke into the Kings Bay Navy base, where there are nuclear submarines with quite a few nuclear um, bombs, nuclear warheads. Now, when I see the picture of these people, I think the youngest one looks like maybe he's 55. And I think the oldest one's near 80. They got into the Kings Bay Navy base with some wire clippers. Now, keep in mind, there's a bigger concern here as well. How in the world did these seven elderly people get in there? I, I mean, was apparently the security at the Kings Bay Navy base was so lax that seven elderly activists were able to gain access. That's worrisome right there. So they were all sentenced. Um, there was a Catholic priest. He was sentenced to nearly three years in prison for trespass. Um, basically, here's, here's what happened. These activists, they broke in and, quote, they said they wanted to, quote, highlight what Dr. King called the evil triplets of militarism, racism, materialism, and to make real the prophet Isaiah's command, beat swords into plowshares, end quote. So they broke in with wire clippers. They were armed, if you will, not really armed, but they're weapons of choice, shall we say, or a few hammers, bottles of their own blood, crime scene tape, and an indictment they wrote charging the U.S. government with crimes against peace. Their crimes were they splashed the blood on a wall. No people around. They spray-painted an anti-war slogan on a sidewalk, and they hammered at a monument to nuclear war. They caused very little damage, and then they read their indictment. For this, they were all sent, tried and sentenced. This is really about the criminalization of dissent. Okay? Um, so, basically, this was reported um, a little bit here and there. They're all grandparents and caregivers. Um, the King's Bay Plowshare 7 include Dorothy Day's granddaughter, Martha Hennessy, Claire Grady, um, let's see, no, Elizabeth McAllister, Stephen Kelly, who's a Catholic priest, and uh, I'm missing somebody here. Oh, uh, Philip Berrigan. Okay. So 
we know that these nuclear warheads are dangerous. All right? Um, there's no winning in nuclear war. And they weren't even allowed a fair trial. Okay? They were... Um, Because the First Amendment prohibits government from applying different rules to religious believers, um, they were treated the same as any other intruder, trespasser. But they weren't offered any protection by what's called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Okay? Now, this is the act that exempts employers from having to provide contraception under the Affordable Care Act. So apparently the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is only applicable to people, to basically to conservatives, but not to progressives. And because they weren't allowed to um, use the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, the court rejected the defendant's pretrial motion to dismiss charges because they said the government has compelling interest in protecting its property. Okay. Um, from any destruction and its military bases from un unauthorized intrusion. You know what? If I were a member of the Pentagon, if I were the head of the um, the Joint Chiefs, okay, or the top admiral in the Navy, I'd be wanting to know how these seven elderly people were able to break in to a Navy base stocked chock full with nuclear warheads. We spent all this money on alleged protection from terrorism, but these elderly people were able to bring the break in. So because the trial court ruled that the First Amendment couldn't be used and they had to be treated as any other violator or uh, trespasser, and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act didn't require dismissal of the charges, the judge decided the jury would not be allowed to hear the defendant's religious freedom events. So because they weren't allowed to hear that necessary defense, these people were convicted because the jury didn't hear the whole story. Okay? So these are people, they, they, they received small, you know, again, these are elderly people, okay? These protesters, they cut through a chain link wire fence. They gained access to a restricted area. They strung up crime scene tape and banners reading, the ultimate logic of Trident is omnicide. Another one read, resist idolatry. Another one read, love your enemies. Another disarm. And one other read, abolish nukes now. Okay? And they hammered at mock missiles on display. They squirted some of their own blood on the grounds, and they spray-tainted on the sidewalk. This should not require any sort of incarceration. But each of the seven were convicted of conspiracy, maximum prison sentence five years, trespass on naval property, maximum six months, depredation of government property, maximum 10 years for damage over $1,000, and destruction of property on naval installation, maximum five years. What an utter piece of garbage. The prosecutor and the judge should have hung their heads in shame. These people trespassed. That's all they did. And they embarrassed the Navy, so they wanted to throw the book at them. 
Now, they didn't get the worst sentence, but that's not the point. Okay. Each one of these people could have been sentenced to a grand total of more than 20 years imprisonment. Okay. Now, the sentencing guideline recommendations didn't recommend that, but the idea that they could face that kind of huge imprisonment, okay, is outrageous. But Michael Cohen gets out after a couple months. There's something very wrong with this system. The trial court judge was Lisa G. Wood. She was a former federal prosecutor. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. She's the appellate judge. Okay, so this is what we're dealing with here. Okay. These people didn't deserve jail. They deserved the medal. But once again, this was based on an article uh, from America Magazine, which is a magazine, it's a Jesuit review, written by Ellen K. Bogle. It's a year old, but still. Um, and the activists, they stood there and they they were unafraid. These people are, they're heroes. They're not. That's what we have now. And then finally, we have a group, I won't get to go over too much, another group of heroes, the Louisiana Bucket Brigade. Now, the Louisiana Bucket Brigade um, has worked with communities in Louisiana, most of them known as Cancer Alley. They're called Cancer Alley because there's so much industrial um, uh, industrial work there, so many industrial sites that the cancer rate for people that live in that area is, I believe, 700 times more than the average American. 700 times more. And so to read from their site, the Quote, the Louisiana Bucket Brigade is an environmental health and justice organization supporting communities' use of grassroots action to become informed. Sustainable neighborhoods free from industrial, to become informed of sustainable neighborhoods free from industrial pollution. The organization's name for the bucket tool used to take air samples and was founded in 2000 by director Ann Rolfe. Okay. So they document problems to try and facilitate change. And one of the cases is really silly. This was against um, a group named Formosa Plastics. Okay. Um, Formosa Plastics is based in Taiwan. Now, Formosa wanted to build an enormous plastic factory along Cancer Alley, which is um, the what they call St. James Parish. And the complex contained 14 plants, uh, plastic plants spanning 2,500 acres be just a mile from an elementary school in a predominantly black community, okay? Um, the Louisiana Department of Environmental Quality received more than 15,000 comments from residents who opposed the project because it would dump 800 tons of toxic pollution into the air, more so doubling toxic air emissions in St. James Practice Parish, I'm sorry, and it would more than triple the levels of cancer-causing chemicals in the region. And among the pollutants Formosa would emit are ethylene oxide, 
benzene, and formaldehyde, which are all known, car known and proven carcinogens. Um, so Formosa, this is the Nurdles case. And, and it, it's, I'm just going to, because we're running short on time here. Um, there were two leaders of the Louisiana Bucket Brigade that I just talked about. They were charged under Louisiana's felony, ter felony terrorizing law. What was their crime? This is silly. In December of 2019, they dumped a box. Oh, they placed a box filled with Formosa plastics, um, plastic pellets, what they call nurdles. They, they placed it outside a fossil fuel lobbyist home. That's it. The box of nurdles um, included a note that detailed the significance and safe handling of the materials that were collected from waterways in uh, Lavaca Bay, Texas, which is also outside of Formosa Plastics Plant, and it was part of a, of a Clean Water Act lawsuit that found Formosa Plastics to be, quote, a serial offender of environmental laws. And that was because they dumped nurdles, resulting in a $50 million settlement. Um, so these two people were, um, these two women, Ann Rolfe, who founded the Louisiana Bucket Brigade, and Kate McIntosh, they were arrested under Louisiana's new terrorism law, which was crafted by ALEC, which is another story, um, for dumping this, leaving this box of plastic nurdles. You know, they're kind of like those little plastic pellets you see in packaging. Um, and, you know, it's a pretty innocent thing, but they were. And, again, St. James Parish, which is what they're trying to protect, um, they ha they're already overburdened with toxic pollution. And they also have a COVID death rate five times higher than the national average. There were lots of groups that came to their aid because their arrest was ludicrous, okay? Um, and uh, 40 advocacy groups that represent millions of people released statements in solidarity with Ann Rolfe and Rolfe and Kate McIntosh of the Louisiana Bucket Brigade. Um, so here's one from Diane Wilson, Executive Director and Waterkeeper, San Antonio Bay Estuarian Waterkeeper, Cedric, Texas. She wrote, quote, it is the most bizarre experience I have had in 30 years of fighting for most of plastics in Texas to hear that eight Ann and Kate of Louisiana Bucket Brigade were charged with terrorizing for returning to industry representatives a tiny sample of the estimated 67 billion pellets that Formosa Plastics illegal, illegally discharged into Texas Bay. Formosa officials in Texas and New Jersey repeatedly told us citizens in Texas that the pellets were harmless. Something smells very fishy and it ain't the pellets. The San Antonio Bay Estuarine Waterkeepers stand in solidarity with the Louisiana Bucket Brigade on the Outstanding Heroes Fighting the Sunshine Project. Okay? Sylvia McKenzie, Executive Committee Coalition Against Death Alley, quote, I was shocked to hear of these charges. They are revenge. It's about officials ignoring us. The actions were peaceful for recognition of the problem not to be taken as a terrorist threat. They need to wake up and smell the coffee. We're in preventative mode in Louisiana. We don't want what happened in Texas to happen here. Lisa Jordan, director of the Tulane Environmental Law Project, Law, Environmental Law Clinic, excuse me. Over the decades, the Tulane Environmental Law Clinic has worked, has worked for those Louisians burdened with pollution impacts and their partners, 
We have seen powerful political forces in the state attempt unsuccessfully to silence people's voices and strip their power. While we have no doubt this latest tactic will similarly fail to suppress our clients' efforts to secure their basic human right to a healthy environment, this astonishing abuse of the criminal justice system is nevertheless shameful and a new low. Okay, let's go down a little bit here. Um, Meg Logue from 350.org, New Orleans. Quote, the felony charges of, ter- and these are felony charges, mind you, for this, for the nurdle. The felony charges of terrorizing against these tireless environmental justice advocates represent a disturbing pattern in the way that Louisiana responds to movements for justice. Louisiana officials have repeatedly terrorized advocates and organizers, organizers meeting peaceful protests with excessive force and brutality, creating new harsh penalties in the form of a critical infrastructure law that protects private interests over human rights, and now misappropriating existing law in an effort to chill our free speech. As with all forms of injustice, these threats disproportionately impact our black, brown, and indigenous families. We stand together as a community across all movements. We say we are not afraid. We will continue to organize, agitate, and mobilize in pursuit of justice, and we will not be intimidated into silence. From Daryl Malik Wiley, Sierra Club, Environmental Justice and Community Partnership Program. Quote, at a time when chemical industries are using COVID-19 as an excuse not to conduct sampling, the state is more interested in arresting people for speaking truth to power than in protecting communities. The real danger is not from protesters, but from the oil and gas corporations who poison Louisiana's air, water, and land. Jane Patton, the Center for International Environmental Law. The state of Louisiana is arresting its own citizens for the high crime of making pollution visible to those who promote it. It proves beyond doubt that Louisiana is prepared to arrest debate. I'm sorry. It proves beyond doubt that Louisiana is prepared to arrest debate, penalize participation, and criminalize its own people for standing up to polluters and standing up for communities. Corin Van Dalen, Earth Justice Staff Attorney. These arrests are a despicable attempt to silence those who are fighting for the health of black Louisians who would be forced to breathe toxic air from yet another chemical plant that industry and the state have actively promoted for their community. Earth Justice stands with Ann Kate and all Louisians who are working to shed light on environmental racism and abuse, and we call for these unjust and outrageous charges to be dropped immediately. Julie Teal Simmons, Attorney Center for Biological Diversity. These arrests and other intimidation tactics are attempts to silence a community that's concerned about pollution and public health. The real violation happening here is Formosa Plastics polluting our air and water to create more throwaway plastic that will end up in our oceans. All our Gulf allies did was show Louisiana the plastic pollution that Formosa illegally discharged into Texas waterways. Black communities are being sickened by corporate polluters, and these sham charges won't deter our opposition to this terrible project. Once again, um, and one more, Vivian Stockman, Executive Director, OVAC, Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition, Huntington, West Virginia. Quote, it is a basic American right to be able to speak up against corporations polluting your communities or institutions trampling your civil rights. We stand with Louisiana Bucket Brigade and communities nationwide fighting polluters. Like you, we have a vision for our region that does not include more petrochemical plastic plants and does include the fundamental American right to protest. So 
this is going on and on and on. Sarah Martik, Center for Coalfield Justice. Quote, when corporations long accustomed to everyone doing their bidding face real community-driven resistance, they use every tool in their toolbox to squash it. These trumped-up charges against activists are indicative of the corrupt influence Formosa has in Louisiana. Ann Kate and the Louisiana Bucket Brigade exercise the right to protest in order to protect themselves, their loved ones, and their communities against further environmental harm. They should be celebrated for their bravery, and we stand with them from Pennsylvania. So once again, we see that there are activists all over that are putting their body, their uh, reputation, their livelihoods, and their freedom on the line. And we don't have time for this last one about um, Biden's pick on climate change. We'll deal with that next time. Um, and once again, when we talk about this, there is such a thing called ecocide. When we allow industrial and corporate actors to continually dirty our, our air and our water and our land, then Yes, we are dealing with ecocide, and it is not only a crime against humanity and should be listed as such internationally, but it's also a crime against the planet. So while I have great respect and appreciation for those progressives that have managed to capture the corporate media's attention, whether it's the, the squad, AOC, whether it's Greta Thunberg, um, you know, whether it's what I call false progressives like Nancy Pelosi, the fact is this, these are not people that have put their bodies on the line. And I felt it remiss to not feature those progressives who have been fighting the good fight all along without book deals or special appearances on Jimmy Fallon or The View. Now, far too often in this media popularity contest, we find ourselves being managed by media influencers as opposed to receiving actual news. The women of the Louisiana Bucket Brigade, or the Plowshare 7 um, activists, Mr. Donzinger, whatever, they may not be as photogenic or mediagenic as some of these newer progressives that are mugging for the camera constantly, but their work is just as important. And not only their work, they are doing, they are doing the courageous work, once again, of putting not only their livelihoods, on the line, but their bodies on the line and their freedom on the line. These people are facing felony charges for what should be considered protected First Amendment activity. And frankly, I think that is a hell of a lot more important than whether or not AOC is judged by whether or not she dresses professionally enough. So we need to stop the silliness and the constant chatter on trivialities and pay attention to what's happening in all our communities and give them the support that they need. And part of that support means that the fourth estate, the media, does its job and tells people what's going on. So once again, this show was dedicated to the true progressive heroes and sheroes that I am grateful for. Um, and I thank everyone for listening. And I wish everybody a happy and a healthy Thanksgiving. And God bless. And that's my show.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.